They were very, very nasty. They were adept at standing on one leg. They'd take the solid top end of the, of the crutch and, and bash their heads in. All of these criminal elements were getting around what we now call the inner suburbs of Melbourne, causing all sorts of mischief. These guys were wild and angry and took the world on. I'm Jen Kelly and this is In Black and White, a podcast about some of Victoria's forgotten characters. In this episode, we tell the story of the bizarrely named Crutchy Push, a street gang who terrorised Melbourne's streets from 1895 to 1905. Melbourne had plenty of street gangs at the time, but the Crutchy Push had one unique difference. The gang consisted almost entirely of one-legged men who would use the tip of a crutch to jab their opponents. Today we're talking to Herald Sun journalist and history buff Jamie Duncan, who recently researched the crutchy push for an article that appeared in the Herald Sun's In Black and White column. Welcome to the podcast, Jamie. Well, thanks for having me. So can you start by telling us, what were some of the other gangs in Melbourne at the time? Well, there were, there were quite a few. It's probably useful to start by explaining what a push is. Okay. Um, yeah, a push is, is, a, is a criminal gang and they're populated by people in the late 19th and early 20th centuries who were called larrikins. Now, we all know what a larrikin is these days. The, the meaning of the words changed quite a lot. You know, we talk about lovable larrikins these days. Larrikins 100, 110, 120 years ago were um, nasty criminal types who would uh, who would get into all kinds of mischief. There were a lot of pushes uh, around town full of all these larrikins. Yeah. Fitzroy had the um, had the Fitzroy 40s. They also had the Freeman Street push from Fitzroy North. The Flying Angels came from South Melbourne, and I think the origin of that name had something to do with an early nickname for the Swans. The Swans' name didn't come up until the 1930s. I think they were known locally as the Angels. Richmond had the Irish Town push. In Carlton, you had the Bouveroos, and they were named after the uh, after Bouverie Street in uh, in Carlton. Uh, and all of these criminal elements were were getting around what we now call the inner suburbs of Melbourne, causing all sorts of mischief. Okay, so the Crutchy Push must have been the most unusual gang at the time. How was it that they managed to menace Melbourne streets when each of them had only one leg? Well. <laughs> They used the, they used their crutches to pretty good effect. There was a, a Sydney Morning Herald article published on the Crutchy Push in the 1950s that uh, that described how they would jab their opponents in the uh, in the midriff when they were in a uh, when they were in a fight, and uh, when their opponents were doubled over gasping for breath, they'd take the solid top end of the of the crutch and, and bash their heads in. They were they were very very nasty. They were adept at standing on one leg. And keeping their their balance really well while they were while they were fighting. Now, is it true that they all had just one leg except for one member who only had one arm and managed to keep an unusual weapon in his other sleeve? Well, he was just as useful in a fight as the rest. He used to keep a, uh, a half a brick sewn into the uh, into his shirt sleeve, which he would swing over his head like a like a helicopter, and would often lead the gang into uh, into battle with the uh, with with the brick swinging about his head. They weren't just adept at using crutches as offensive weapons. I mentioned that they were quite adept at keeping balance on one leg. There was one occasion where an eventual leader of the uh, of the Crutchy Push, a fellow called Valentine Keating, had been involved in a, uh, a fight with police in North Melbourne, in Queensbury Street, I think. And in the Carlton Court later on, they eventually caught up with him. But in the Carlton Court, a, uh, a policeman described how Valentine King was, was able to get onto his crutches and bound away like a flying kangaroo in order to escape the law. So what sort of crimes were they responsible for? Was this all street fighting or were there other crimes? Oh, street fighting was the least of it. The Crutchy Push was into all sorts of things. Uh, assault, obviously, they were, they were renowned street fighters. 
unlawful wounding was uh, one of the charges that uh, that members uh, received over the years. Assaulting police was pretty standard. Obscene language, uh, insulting behaviour, theft. They would walk into shops or into pubs and just more or less take what they wanted. And uh, if there was any opposition, then then uh, they'd become violent. They were, uh, they were incredibly active. Okay. And so they all came from North Melbourne and they were actually all supporters of the North Melbourne Football Club as well, were they? Yes. Yes. They, they, were, they were very passionate supporters of the, uh, of the North Melbourne Football Club. This was in the days when North Melbourne wasn't even in the VFL. They were in the old VFA. And there was one occasion where North Melbourne played Footscray in a VFA match over at the Western Oval where the, the crutchy push was barred entry. And they uh, paraded up and down outside the ground. They fought with patrons. They caused all sorts of trouble. And they scattered only when, when the police arrived on mass to deal with them. They caused a near riot. They were fairly drunk. They were fairly disorderly and uh, caused all all manner of trouble outside the ground. Now, I believe that the Crutchy Push made national headlines when one of their leaders was bashed in his sleep in 1901 and he subsequently died from his injuries. Yeah, the, the, the Crutchy Push actually made national headlines. They appeared. as There are stories um, in the National Library of Australia's Trove online newspaper archive by the hundred about the, uh, the Crutchy Push from all sorts of far-flung corners of Australia. And uh, in 1901, there was a uh, there was a, a murder that uh, that made national headlines. There's a particularly lurid story that appeared in the Sydney Truth newspaper. I'm not sure how that's related to the old Melbourne Truth, but um, it described in minute detail the uh, the crime scene and uh, and how the uh, how the murder was committed. Okay, so what were the details? What happened? What raised the most headlines and, and, and really brought the Crutchy Push to national prominence was the murder of its leader. He was George Reginald Hill, or, or Reggie to his mates. He suffered three separate skull fractures. He was bashed as he slept in a, in a squalid North Melbourne sentiment he shared with another gang member, a fellow called James Walsh. Now, he and Walsh had, um, had fallen out a little while earlier. They had a, uh, an argument in a pub about a, uh, about a woman. Police said that shortly before Reggie's death, he and Walsh had quarrelled in a, in, in a pub uh, and a drunk um, Walsh had said to Reggie, and I'll quote here, I wish, you, I, wish I had your moustache, I would steal your girl. <laughs> Apparently a moustache was a status symbol at the time. I'm not too sure what the significance of that was, but, um, they, uh, but Reggie saw this as a challenge to his leadership um, and uh, he bashed Walsh um, in the pub in front of everybody and Walsh swore revenge. Now Walsh was nowhere to be seen on the uh, uh, on the morning that uh, that Reggie woke up um, covered in blood with uh, with skull fractures. Reggie somehow got himself upright, walked to a cousin's house, who ended up rushing him to the uh, to the Queen Victoria Hospital for treatment. At that stage, Reggie was unable to speak. He was handed a, a slate and a pencil so that he could write down what had happened. And at that moment, he collapsed and died. Walsh was the obvious suspect, having had a falling out, having sworn revenge on Reggie. But in quite sensational scenes, Walsh was uh, was acquitted. He was uh, welcomed back to the uh, back to the fold by his mates, and another man, Valentine Keating, assumed the leadership of the Crutchy Push. So I wonder if the gang believed that Walsh was responsible, or did they believe once he was acquitted that he was innocent, and that's why they let him back into the gang? I think there was no doubt in their minds that uh, that, that he did it. He challenged Reggie for the leadership, and uh, and he won. So he was uh, he was welcomed back into the fold. Okay, but then Valentine Keating has become the leader instead of Walsh. Yes, yes, Walsh presented a challenge to Reggie's leadership, and that opened the way for his good mate 
Valentine Keating to come through and, uh, and, and, and become the leader of the Crutchy Push. Okay. And what happened with the Crutchy Push under Valentine Keating? Was it business as usual for them? Business as usual, yep. They, uh, they kept getting around town, not just in North Melbourne, but all around the city, causing trouble, fighting, stealing and making mayhem wherever they went. And one of the more unusual crimes involved a brawl that Valentine Keating and his mother were both involved with. Yeah, um, Valentine Keating was caught up in a, uh, in, in a street fight that attracted roughly 200 people to, to come, come out and watch in Abbotsford Street in North Melbourne. When the uh, police arrived, he made good his escape, as he often did, and he scarped home to his mum and dad's house. He lived with his mum and dad in Arden Street in North Melbourne. So, yeah, obviously right by the old North Melbourne footy ground. And he took shelter there. And what, what ensued was quite spectacular. A couple of uh, police constables arrived to arrest Valentine, and Valentine, his mother, his sister, and, uh, and various others all tried to fight the police and stop them from, um, from taking Valentine away. And the fracas only ended when Valentine Keating's mother raised a chair to, uh, to bash a policeman and hit Valentine instead, knocking him out. And everybody was taken away down to the, uh, down to the police station for, uh, for processing. Okay. <laughs> so, so what ended up happening to the crutchy push? Did Valentine Keating end up in prison? Valentine Keating was jailed a number of times. He was also fined quite a lot for various crimes and the penalty was often, uh, often a fine or if you can't pay a certain number of days in jail. So he did quite a bit of time. But things, things started to go wrong for the crutchy push in 1904. In, in August 1904, Keating and another man, John Hobson, bashed unconscious a publican by the name of James Doyle uh, at a pub in Elizabeth Street that was known as the Sport, Sportsman's Club Hotel. Boyle had refused them service because they'd rolled in drunk and uh, they turned nasty and beat poor Boyle to a pulp. Then the following month, Keating and his, uh, his girlfriend at the time, Harriet Adderley, and, and several of the crutchies were accused of the, um, the murderous assault of a policeman, Constable Mark Mulcahy. He'd sought to arrest them after, after they gate-crashed a party in North Melbourne. Adderley, in a very unladylike manner, kicked Mulcahy several times in the face as he wrestled with Keating. Another accomplice, John, John Collins, fractured Mulcahy's skull, bashing him with his crutch. So, you know, the old crutch is a weapon thing. Keating and Collins were each sentenced to five years jail for um, the various crimes associated with that, and uh, Adderley went inside for a year. By the time Keating was released, the crutchy push had, uh, had lost their leadership and it had all folded up. Okay, so when was that? When was he released? What year? Uh, I'm, I'm not certain of that. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't get a hold of that, but they were, they were certainly active up until around 1905. Yeah, okay. So, what a bit, so 1904 was that crime, wasn't it? That was August, and then, August 1904, yeah. And then he's gone to jail for five years. He's been jailed for five years, and by the time he's got out, the crutchy push is dissolved. So what became of Valentine Keating once he got out of jail? Well, Valentine Keating stayed largely on the wrong side of the law, from what I can tell. Once he was released from jail, the crutchies were gone, but uh, he needed to make a living somehow. Uh, and he ended up becoming an unlicensed publican in Fitzroy. He changed, uh, changed allegiances, moved across to Fitzroy, and business was pretty good. He started setting up uh, sly grog shops in other parts of Melbourne as well. And by the 1920s, he was also a, uh, a second-hand dealer uh, and once beat a charge of receiving stolen goods. The goods were two saws and a brace and bit. At, uh, at his shop in Drummond Street in Carlton. So he, um, he stayed you know, reasonably close to North Melbourne, but he got himself out. And he was still a pretty wild man, well into his middle age. He was fined 40 shillings at one stage for his part in a brawl at a party in Cardigan Street in Carlton in, in 1925. So, yeah, he, he, was, he, was, he was unstoppable. 
And what became of him in the end? I mean, for such a lifelong criminal, did he die committing one of his crimes in the end? No, no, he died of tuberculosis in the end in, in uh, 1930. He was aged 52 at that stage. He last came to the notice of the newspapers in um, February 1929. He was jailed for 14 days for being drunk in charge of a motor car. The old Argus reported that um, a constable Donnelly of uh, the Wireless Motor Patrol found Keating slumped at the wheel of his, uh, his car, which he'd, uh, which he'd crashed. And Donnelly told the court, and I'll quote here, he was very drunk and had abrasions and his face was covered in blood. I asked him, where did you get these injuries? He said, Jackie did it. I would like to get him. Who Jackie was, we don't know. And sadly for, uh, for Valentine, he was in charge of his partner's car. So, um, so she wouldn't have been very happy with him. What a fascinating story. So how would you sum up the crutchy push? What, what do you find so interesting about them? Well, I've, uh, I've worked in the past for Vision Australia, um, which provides services to people who are blind or have low vision. And I've given a couple of odd history talks to uh, various Vision Australia clients about uh, stories, including the crutchy push. And they absolutely adored the story because they've, I, I think they've, they, they enjoyed it because these guys well and truly beat the stereotype of the time. People in turn-of-the-century Melbourne would have regarded people who had a disability as poor, unfortunate types who were unemployable and really weren't good for, for much at all. But here, these guys actually ruled the streets. They used their disabilities to good effect, although for you know, dreadful crimes, obviously. But they were able to stand up for themselves and, uh, and band together and fight in a way that uh, really challenged stereotypes of the time. And they were absolutely feared. I think it's fair to say that amputees were pitied at the time. They were thought of as, as poor unfortunates that weren't able to fend for themselves, that weren't really useful to society, that couldn't really do anything. And he was a, a group of people who'd uh, been afflicted with a disability, who stood up for themselves and uh, challenged society in the wrong way, obviously, but uh, in a way that really challenged stereotypes and uh, they were feared despite their injuries and despite the pity that old Melbourne must, must have felt for, for people in their situation. These guys were wild and angry and took the world on. And I love the idea of, uh, of underdogs doing that, although in, you know, in, a, in a criminal way. There's something almost positive about the story, I think. Yeah. Well, that's been fascinating. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, Jamie. Oh, thanks for having me. And if listeners want to read Jamie Duncan's full story about the crutchy push, you'll find a link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. This has been In Black and White, a podcast about some of Victoria's forgotten characters. Written and hosted by me, Jen Kelly, produced by Peter Fuller and edited by Andrea Thies-Evanson. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it on whatever platform you're listening on. And to get notified when each new episode comes out, make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed. A troubled young woman, her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.